0: I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar, When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: All right, back to Genesis. We've been going through a series in Genesis. We are about halfway through that series. We've been going since September, and last week we took a quick break because it was Easter Sunday, and so we, we jumped to, uh, to 1 Corinthians 15 and talked about the resurrection. Today we are back to Genesis, chapter 26, and this is one of those chapters that just does not make sense with where it is in the book of Genesis. So if you're following the narrative, this is where we've been. We, the first 11 chapters go through the history of the early creation of the world, and then in chapter 12, the story slows down drastically and it starts talking about Abraham. And then we follow Abraham for like 10 chapters, 11 chapters, and then Abraham has a child and we we follow him for longer than that actually. Uh, He has a child named Isaac Uh, He almost sacrifices his son Isaac, but the Lord provides for him. And then we have Isaac. And so it starts the story of Isaac. But before you even get into the story of Isaac, it basically jumps over anything that Isaac did. It it talks about Isaac getting married, but then it immediately goes to Isaac having children uh, because the story goes to Jacob and Esau. So two weeks ago, we were talking about Jacob and Esau and how Jacob tricked Esau into giving him his birthright. And now... This week, the story oddly jumps back to Isaac because it really doesn't make sense here right now because last week we were talking Jacob and Esau and then chapter 27, so chapter 25 is Jacob and Esau. Chapter 27, Jacob and Esau. If you were following the the path of the story, you would just go chapter 25 to chapter 27. You would skip chapter 26 because it doesn't really fit here. Yet the author found it prudent to put this chapter right here in the middle of the Jacob and Esau story. This is an interruption to the story. It's like you're watching The Mandalorian and they tell you a story about some dude from season one a long time ago. Um, that actually happened. A lot of people have given up on The Mandalorian, sorry. Um, but that's, that's what's happening. Is it, it's like this jump episode that we have in here. Um, but I think it's a really important episode And the point of this passage, as we look at it, is exactly this. That Isaac carried the legacy of Abraham. Isaac carried the legacy of Abraham. They want you to see that. They want you to see that Isaac is following in his father's footsteps, for better and for worse. They want you to see that Abraham left this legacy And it's being carried forward and will continue to be carried forward because God's promises get moved forward. But this legacy is a legacy of both blessing and of brokenness. Abraham left a legacy of blessing and brokenness to his child, Isaac. And isn't that what we have all received from our own parents? In one way or another, hopefully more blessing than brokenness. But we've all received at least the brokenness from our parents. And some of us have received quite a blessing at the same time. And so what I wanna do with our time today is I want to explore Abraham's legacy that was left to Isaac. Really, everything that you see in this passage, you've seen before. This is all stuff that's, that's happened before. We received the same promise that God gave to Abraham. We receive, and then we see a very similar episode to something that we saw Abraham do, not once, but twice. But then, as we consider this legacy that Isaac received from his father, Abraham, I want us to consider the legacy that we've received and the legacy, Lord willing, that we're passing on to the next generation. So let's, let's jump into the text, my friends, Abraham's Legacy of Blessing and Brokenness. Verse 1, if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. Now, there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the day of, days of Abraham. A famine, it might not seem like a big deal. We don't really use the word famine much anymore. We use the word drought. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal to us. We have reservoirs, we have modern technology to take care of this sort of thing, but in, ancient, in the ancient Near East, this was a huge deal. If you don't have water for an entire season, you cannot water your crops. You cannot, you cannot give your livestock water. You cannot drink water. Where's your water coming from? You have to have water to survive. And so this is a huge deal for Abraham. He's got to find some water. And so, so he starts looking. And it says, the rest of the second half of the chapter, uh, verse 1, And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Now there's always a temptation to go to Egypt during famine. Because Egypt has the Nile. And the Nile never runs dry. That is just a massive river. And so the people in Egypt were kind of famine-proof for the most part. Um, We'll learn later that they weren't. But at this point, they, they saw Egypt as just being the place where, you know, you could go if there was a famine and you'd be taken care of. Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn, that means like a temporary stay. Sojourn in this land. And I will be with you and will bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens, and I will give your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So this is... A beautiful promise. Uh, Isaac's probably wondering, all those promises that were made to my father, are those true for me too? Because I feel like I'm about to die. This is the middle of a famine. I got to go find somewhere to go. I'm going to have to abandon this land that the Lord gave to my father. And here the Lord shows up and he speaks to Isaac. And he promises Isaac the exact same things that he promised his father Abraham, that he would receive the land that uh, God had given to Abraham. And that he would bless all nations through Isaac's children. And so the promise is going to go down. Abraham left a legacy of blessing to his son Isaac. He left this legacy. It's this beautiful story and message. But Abraham also left a legacy of brokenness. Verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, "'She's my sister.'" For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Ugh. Not this again, right? It's, it's literally the oldest trick in the book, okay? It's, it's been done twice. Abraham did it at least two times. He probably did it more than two times. And here we see Isaac just repeating the sins of his father, now, they would do this because when they would go into these neighboring cities, uh, the, the men, Isaac and Abraham, would be afraid because obviously their, their wives were lookers, at least they thought so. And uh, they thought that the king of that land would say, I want her in my harem. And so they would kill Isaac or Abraham and take their wife. And so instead they would say, she's my sister. So that they would just go ahead and take her into the harem. It's like, very self-preserving uh, technique here. It wasn't a very uh, good method of doing this. And so I think about Isaac, and where did he learn this from? You know, is this something that he saw his father doing? Is this a trick that he just watched? Is this something that Abraham might have even said, hey boy, let me tell you a secret. You know, this is my con. Uh, when they, when you, go, you, you have to go into a foreign land, just tell them that she's your sister so you get off the hook. That would not be the best words of wisdom from a father. But we don't know how we learned this. Somehow he learned it from Abraham. And the kicker is, this is actually kind of hilarious when you get here. And, and your ears should, it should listen to this. When you first hear that name, Abimelech of the Philistines, I've heard that name before. If you go back a few chapters, it's the exact same king that Abraham did this to. The exact same king. Now, maybe it was the king's son. The name of Abimelech just means son of the king. So maybe it's like the line of Abimelech, and maybe this is a different person. But when we read this, what we should be thinking is this guy is like, fool me once, shame on, on you, fool me twice. I mean, he's got to learn something here, Abimelech, at this point. Isaac is repeating the sin of his father. Friends, you are naturally predisposed to repeat the sins of your parents. You spend more time with your parents than anyone else through your early years. You learn so much from them. You learn how to talk from them. You learn how to walk from them. You learn everything. You learn how to be a human. You watch how they treat you and how they treat others, and you very naturally mimic them. If it's true that you are just the combination of the five people that you spend the most time with, your parents are probably the most important and biggest people in that. Your parents really do shape who you become. And just as you're predisposed to repeat the sins of your parents, your children are predisposed to repeat your own sins. There aren't a ton of parents in here today. It is February break. Uh, or April break, a lot of the parents are traveling. Uh, But hopefully it's something that we can apply to ourselves as well. Now let's think about Isaac. Isaac, (laughs) let's think about some reasons why he might repeat some of the sins of his father. He had a pretty traumatic childhood, if you think about it. I mean, um, he saw his older brother get just kicked out of the house and sent, sent out. Uh, At one point, his father put a pile of sticks on a mountain, didn't tell him what they were doing, walked him to the top of the mountain, tied him to the sticks, raised a knife above him, and stopped right before he murdered him. This is not a situation, you know, they, they glossed over it very quickly, but I'm guessing there was a little trauma involved in that moment as well. I know the Lord saved him, but that leaves an impression on someone. You know, he he repeated the same sin as his father, but the text is really clear every time that Abraham commits this sin, that it it actually says this every time, and it says Abraham wasn't technically lying, Uh, she was his half-sister. So, like, the text tells us that Isaac doesn't even have that, okay? Isaac is repeating the sin of his father, but he's going another step, and isn't this the way that cycles of sin so often work? is unless we break this cycle of brokenness, it'll just be amplified and magnified in the next generation. And in fact, what we see happen is after Isaac, Isaac increases the deception that we see in Abraham. This is the the default sin of of the Abrahamic line, is this deception. Uh, But then you go to Jacob. Jacob is like on 10 times what Isaac is doing. He is the trickster of all tricksters. And so we see the sin magnified in the next generation. Friends, no matter how many times you try not to repeat the sins of your parents, you will repeat some form of it. And so it will do us some good to think about our parents and think about who they are and to consider their ways and to consider our own ways and the impression they left. You'll either sin in the same way or you'll do what some of us have done and Go the complete opposite way and run as far as way as you can, but then you end up sending even worse than them, just in opposite kind of ways. That happens often as well. This has been a story that's been told in in music over and over again. Just a couple of the songs that I found impressionable with this. I think about the musical Hamilton. In the musical Hamilton, you have the two main characters, uh, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. And they are polar opposites in many ways, but in many ways, they're also the same. And so the the play in the second act, there's just this beautiful duet. It's probably my favorite song of the entire play uh, between Aaron Burr and Hamilton. And it's called Dear Theodosia. And um, Burr's daughter, her name is Theodosia, and he's singing. They're both celebrating the birth of their newborn child. Hamilton has a son named Philip, and they're singing to their children. And here are just a few lyrics that they are sharing. My father wasn't around, and then the other one, my father wasn't around. I swear I'll be around for you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll make a million mistakes. I'll make the world safe and sound for you. And so you see them wanting to to give their children a better life. And isn't that what we all want? And that's probably what your parents wanted for you as well. But then as the play continues, you see that Philip dies in a duel the same way that his father died in a duel. He received his father's hothead. There's just no way around it sometimes. Another song that... Plays on this theme, um, in fact, this is like the song that I think of every time. I almost called this sermon, the, the title of this song, but there's a um, theme, there's a song in the album Watch the Throne by Jay-Z and Kanye. And again, it's a, 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 sorry, I'm dating myself a little bit, you know, I'm a geriatric millennial. This came out in my prime. Um, it's, a, it's a duet of, of two men who've been deeply wounded by their own fathers. And, they're meditating on the sins of their father and how they don't want really to repeat those. And so, just a few of the lyrics. I'm sorry for the bad meter that I'll have on this. Um, sorry, Junior, I already ruined you because your life because you ain't even alive and paparazzi's pursuing you. Sins of a father make life 10 times harder. I just want to take you to the barber. I promise to never leave him because my dad left me and I promise never repeat him. And then they sing that back and forth for a moment, never repeat them, never repeat them. But friends, you too repeat the sins of your parents. And your children will repeat your sins if you have to, if the Lord so chooses to bless you in one way or another. We'll dive into this more in a second. Verse 8. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with his wife, with Rebekah, his wife. Now, this is a funny verse if you speak Hebrew, because if you speak Hebrew, you get to this, and you, you, and you can get there pretty quickly. What is the word for laughter in, in Hebrew? But it's Isaac. So Abimelech looked out his window, and he saw Isaac, isaac with his with Rebekah, his wife. Now, I don't know what they were doing. It's intentionally vague, but the way that they're laughing is a way that only married couples laugh with one another, okay? So let your imaginations go wild. It's probably true. Verse nine, so Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she's your wife. You were doing married people stuff. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this that you've done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us all. So Abimelech warned all the people, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. That's not the way that I would expect Abimelech to respond to that. If I was the king and someone lied to me in such a way, it would have been like, you're both dead. Like it's over for you. Why would you lie to me like this? Why, why, did you, why did you lie to us like this? But instead, what we see is blessing despite brokenness. Blessing despite brokenness. Just like his father Abraham before him, Isaac gets off easy. He's lied to a powerful man and he gets completely off the hook. Isn't this the way that things work with God so often? Like if you don't resonate with this just a little bit, I'm not sure you're even a Christian. Because Isaac has committed a terrible sin. He's done something really bad. He's been really selfish. And all he gets is mercy. All he gets is mercy. And next, we see him receive grace. Now, when I use these two words, they're pretty interchangeable. But mercy, you could think about it as being not getting what you deserve. And grace, you can think about getting more than what you deserve. So he's receiving mercy now. He's not getting what he deserves. But next he receives grace, which is verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. That's crazy growth. During a really perfect weather year, you might get a hundredfold. But during a famine... That's incredible. That's only the Lord could be with him. And the Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants. So the Philistines envied him. Look, friends, this is the heart of the gospel. You are a screw up. That's just true. Your parents were a screw up. You're a screw up. Your children are going to be a screw up. But the Lord gives grace to screw-ups like you and me. He gives mercy to those who don't deserve it. Because of what Christ has done, I get to know God as my Father. And he's given me mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace, more than what I ever deserve. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is not just this list of morals of do this, don't do that. Be this kind of person. No, the gospel is good news about what has already been done in Jesus Christ. That he was the Son of God, is the Son of God. He came to live the perfect life. He died the death that sinners deserve to die. And because of his death, because of his resurrection, I get to know God. I receive something that I don't deserve. I didn't earn it at all. He earned it all. He did it all. And so we have this saying at our church, it's one of our community commitments that fuel our gospel culture here, but we speak good news before good advice. We speak good news before good advice. This means that when we go to one another and we say, hey, I'm a screw up, and we confess our sins, the way that we respond to that person is through good news first. We say, but you know what? You're beloved by God because of what Jesus has done for you. You need to remember your position as a beloved child of God. You need to know that God cares for you. Before we start telling them, now, here's some steps that you can take to not be a screw-up again. Okay, We're so tempted to run to advice first, are we not? Like, oh, well, here's four steps that you can get over that sin. Right? Here's what you should have done in that situation. But no, we speak good, advice, good news before good advice. We are a community gathered because of the gospel, and we are a community that is shaped by the gospel. Now, here's how I want to spend the rest of the few minutes that we have uh, for me to share with you. I want to discuss what it means to, lead, to receive a legacy from our parents, and I want to talk about how you pass a legacy of blessing onto your own children. And I promise I'll make it applicable even if you don't have kids or and you don't plan on having children. So I'll make it applicable to everyone. So first of all, I want us to consider the legacy that we've received from our parents. What blessings have you received from your parents? And what levels of brokenness have you received from your parents? I've been sharing about this more recently. Uh, My father died two years ago. And uh, it's one of those things that I never talked much about my father whatsoever before he died. I didn't talk about him when he died, and now two years later, I feel like I'm finally ready to talk about it a little bit, so bear with me. Um, he left, my, my, my father left my mother when I was five years old, and I never understood that. I saw him sporadically for the following 10 years. Uh, when I turned 16, I only talked to him three times after that. I never saw him again after I was 16. My, my children never met him. Uh, he never attended any of my graduations or my wedding. He just was not involved in my life. And so one of the things that I've done with my father is I've just considered his own life because what type of legacy did my father receive? And it was one of brokenness. Uh, my father's father similarly it was one of those classic things where at least this is a story that I've received from his family is that one day he said, "Hey, I'm going out to get some a pack of cigarettes at the corner store" and he never came back. Like it was just like that classic story. Uh, that you've heard many times, that my father's own father left them when he was young and he grew up without a father. And then my father fought in a, a war, in the Vietnam War, and he came back and found all of his possessions sold because they didn't think that he would make it back. He received a legacy of brokenness from his own parents. And there's just layers and layers of pain and brokenness that I've received vicariously through generations of fathers abandoning their children but you know when i came to christ as a 16 year old man boy adolescent the lord started healing these pieces of brokenness that were found within me and he he healed them through receiving god as my father through understanding how the lord thinks about me And then he did this also by sending a youth pastor who at the time was only 24 years old who took me under his wing and spent just a massive amount of time with me. He took me to every single home uh, college football game uh, for this team that was two and a half hours away. And so six times during the fall for two years, we would get in his car, and we would talk for two and a half hours on the way to the football game. We would sit and watch the football game together, and then we'd get in his car and drive back for two and a half hours and talk. And he just poured it into my life, and he loved me. And really, I don't remember anything we ever talked about. I really don't remember any of it. I just remember feeling safe and knowing that I was loved by someone who loved Jesus. And it meant the world. Changed who I was. When I was 16, the same man said, Fletcher, I think... God is calling you to carry this legacy and to be a pastor. And I said, I don't know about that, but I'll pray on it. And so I went home and prayed, and he was right. That is what the Lord was calling me to do. You see, I received a legacy from my spiritual father that my father never gave me. We can have an impact on each other's lives. The Catholic priest, Richard Rohr, once said something pretty profound. It's probably one of the best things I've heard him say. If we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. If we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. Friends, what cycles of brokenness have you inherited from your father, from your mother, from your parents? Or how have you overreacted and struggled in opposite ways? We need the power of Christ to break the cycles of brokenness. We need the power of Christ to break the cycles of brokenness, and this is, for many of us is a multi-year process. Okay, I'm going to give you like three steps right now, and uh, some of you are going to be go home and you're like Type A personalities. So you're going to be like, all right, one, two, three, good. Cycles of brokenness are broken. That's not how it's going to work, okay? Um, But the first thing that I would encourage you to do is to receive God as your father. And actually, there's this popular psychological technique called uh, reparenting. I have a degree in psychology, but I am not a psychologist. I'm not going to pretend like I even understand this counseling therapy uh, uh, technique, but it's where you might talk to a childhood version of yourself and show empathy to yourself. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it works. I don't know anything about it. But I'll say this. It's strangely close to what the Bible prescribes. Instead of talking to yourself, though, you allow yourself to be reparented by God. And you receive him as father. You receive his love and his kindness and the way that he feels about you. Through the gospel, my friends, through Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. The first step to breaking the cycles of brokenness is to receiving that not just once but over and over and over again, being reminded of it, reading the Word, digging into it, hearing the heart of the Father for his Son, which is then vicariously applied to you as you were found in Christ. You have to be reminded of that over and over and over again receiving god as father is your first step to healing the wounds that we've received after you receive god as father you can start working on this next step and this next step might even be harder than the first okay this is a a pretty uncomfortable sermon uh it might be the most uncomfortable sermon in the entire book of genesis and you might say well how's that possible We just did Sodom and Gomorrah a couple of weeks ago. It was pretty uncomfortable. Look, friends, if there's anything good that I'm good at doing, it's making a room of people uncomfortable. Okay, this time it's on purpose, though. The next step that you have to do is forgive your parents. Yeah, you really do. And forgive them for everything. Uh, Look, there's a lot of wounds in this room. We're all broken people. And we need to work through those things. You might need to talk to someone about this. Talk to a friend. Talk to a community group leader. Talk to a counselor. You're going to need to work through some of these things. Even if you had great parents, there's still places where you can forgive them and move on. Let me say this to maybe help you with it. Your parents did not know what they were doing. They just didn't. They didn't know what they were doing, and your parents' parents did not know what they were doing. They received a legacy of brokenness from from their own parents. No one knows what they're doing. And how much easier would it be, though, if our parents would just come to us and be like, yo, I didn't know what I was doing, I'm sorry, right? That would be unimaginable in many of our lives, but so, so helpful. If you have adult children, or adolescent children, I encourage you to do that. My own wife received this a couple years ago. Um, she, uh, you know, her, her father became a Christian when she was like nine or 10, and he was an Air Force officer. He flew a really manly plane, an A-10, a warthog. Um, and when we were, we, we had just recently gotten married and he took her out to coffee and sat her down and you got this manly man who played hockey at Air Force Academy, okay? Like There's like chest hair everywhere here in this situation. Not literally, just like, I'm just trying to emphasize his manliness. Um, father-in-law, hope he's watching. Um, and he, he said with tears in his eyes, like, Megan, I'm sorry. And he confessed to... Normal stuff, I mean, things that, things that many of us have experienced from our own parents. But how beautiful is that? The man's heart had been influenced by Christ to the point to where he felt he needed to seek forgiveness from even his own daughter. It would make things easier, wouldn't it? Friends, when you receive God as Father, you work through forgiving your parents, which is a process, and I can help you with that. There's a lot we can say about that, about forgiveness and what that means. But finally, we work toward honoring our parents. There's a pastor in New York City uh, named John Tyson who wrote a book called The Intentional Father. I have it in my backpack. I meant to bring it up here to show you guys. Uh, Called The Intentional Father. It's a great little book on the importance of fathers and how to raise sons. And he has this exercise in the book that I, I, want, I want you all to consider doing. And he, he has this exercise where he says, I want you to write a letter to your parents honoring them. Just tell them everything they got right. It's so much more important for you as a believer to tell your parents what they got right as opposed to what they got wrong. You forgive the things that they got wrong and you tell them the things that they got right. You show them that honor. I'm not saying that you can't talk to them about the things that they got wrong. Wrong. When he tells the story, he, he said that he gave his father the letter that he wrote him before an international flight. Um, and his father, you know, left and read, the, read the, the letter on the flight. And his mother called them whenever they got, he's from Australia, so whenever they got back to Australia, his mother called him and said, what did you write your father? And he said, oh, did I offend him? And she said, no, something profound happened in your father's heart. He sat on the plane weeping while he read your letter. He was so happy about it. Thank you for doing that for him. Friends, if I ever receive a letter like that, I'll be ready to move on to glory, okay? (laughs) Okay. There's no greater goal that I have in my life than to serve the Lord Jesus with all I have. And I want you guys to receive that, but I want those three (laughs) that I have to receive it even more. Um, Maybe your father was absent, as mine was. or Maybe even abusive, Lord forbid. Well, the process is gonna be more difficult. And um, for me, when I came to this part of the book and thought about my own father and trying to work through the wounds that I had received um, and tried to think about how to honor him, the best I could do was to write a letter forgiving. And he was already dead, but I still had to do it. And it was powerful to work through that for myself. Friends, I want this to be a moment for you where you decide to stop being defined by the brokenness that you've received and to start being defined by the good news that you've received. Stop being defined by the cycles of brokenness and receive Christ who breaks the chains, who sets us free, who loves us dearly. Lastly, right before we close, I want to end with this. What kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy are you leaving? What areas of brokenness and of blessing are you passing on to your own children? We must intentionally be the person that you'd like your children to imitate. And so I'll give you this. This is is Fletcher's secret to parenting. I'm not sure if it's actually the secret to parenting. I'm not like a reality TV show host or anything like that. I can't go into your home and fix everything. But this is what I think the secret to parenting is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And allow that to change who you are. Because the best gift that you can give to your children... Is your character. They're watching how you behave. They're watching what you do when someone wrongs you. They're watching what you do when things are moving slowly or when you're frustrated. They're watching and they're learning. They're they're receiving from you a message of how you relate with God. And I know it really shouldn't be this way. You should learn it from the Bible. But it does happen this way, does it not? That many times people whose parents are distant feel like God is distant. Many people who feel like God is strict, their parents were strict. Where moralism makes God happy is because moralism made their parents happy. Maybe they see God as grace-filled and kind and I would almost guarantee you that if you had grace-filled and kind parents that it will help you to think that about God and that is who God is and so we have to receive the good news so that it will transform us so that we don't pass this legacy of brokenness on to our children but instead we pass a legacy of blessing on to them. Now you will pass some brokenness you know, watch my kids after and you'll see Fletcher's brokenness running around, okay? But hopefully you'll see the blessing of the Lord as well. Jesus wants you to enjoy the love of the Father, to just swim in it and bask in it, so that you can give your kids the gift of intentionality and time and... and. You can help them to understand the love of God for them. Uh, Frederick Douglass says it like this. He says, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And John Tyson in his book, he, he said it like this, and I love this. He said, we need to have a vision of the day our sons will leave our homes and work backward from that day with a plan to help them gain the knowledge, skills, character, and experiences they need. This will enable them to move into the world as confident and healthy men. Now, if you don't have children, let me apply it to you for just a moment. First of all, the parents of this congregation do not know what they are doing, okay? None of us do, we don't know what we're doing. That's the secret, okay? Gig is up, we don't know what we're doing. We're making it up as we go, we're figuring it out, okay? Hopefully you get a little bit better after the first one, but you're still like making it up, okay? So first children, you know, your parents had no idea. If you're a third child, you're like, yo, my parents stopped caring long times ago, okay? We just don't know what we're doing. And so we need you to come alongside us and help us. We need your help. We need your help. The parents of this church need your help. And secondly, there are spiritual orphans in this home. There are spiritual orphans in this house. People who did not receive a a legacy of blessing from their parents. They received a legacy of only brokenness. And they need your discipleship. That 24-year-old pastor that took me under his wing was a single man, without children, without a wife. But he cared for me. And through him, many nations are being blessed. God has called you to be intentional with your time to, to disciple one another. If you want to have kids one day, this is the intentionality boot camp. You know, learn here. Work on your character. Be the type of person you want to, to pass on to your kids. And if you don't want to have kids one day, well, friends, this is, this is your life. This is now your calling. This is what you are meant to do. You're meant to leave a legacy. Don't just leave a legacy in biotech. Don't just leave a legacy in the academia. Leave a legacy of faith and blessing from the Lord to many people Take them under your wing, care for them, love them. Let's build a culture of discipleship here. Each week we take a sacred meal to be reminded of the good news of Jesus. And uh, this is a communion meal that we offer to anyone who calls on Christ as their Savior. And it's a reminder that the Lord dines with us, that he has received us as children, that we have a place at the table. And today... If you were a child of God, we want to invite you to receive this meal. On the night that he was betrayed, Christ took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took a cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so every week when we do this, we're being reminded that the body of Christ was broken for us and the blood of Christ was shed for us. Church, let's stand, prepare ourselves to respond to God's word and to receive this holy meal. Fathers, we come to your table. We pray that you would receive us as children. We pray that you would receive us as you've received Christ, that you would draw us near to your chest, that you would hold us dearly, and that you would break the cycles of brokenness and pain that we've all received from our own parents and that our parents received from their parents. And God, that you would help us to pass on a legacy of blessing only, that you would forgive us where we fail And you would help us to love as you've loved. God, as as this crowd is working through their wounds, (laughs) it's going to be a process. But God, we pray that you will parent them well, that you'll care for them well, and uh, that they might receive you as Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.